0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fit Farming Food Mom. As always, I am your host, Connie, and I'm a certified personal trainer, online and in-person coach, a bodybuilding athlete, a nutrition nerd, and a full-time mom. And today, in light of my recent hip surgery, I have someone on the show that is no stranger to injury and has helped many clients through times of injury as well, Jerry Ward is a former national-level bodybuilding competitor, a former pro wrestler, a former biomolecular nutrition counselor, an NPC Mid-Atlantic head judge, and he is also a fitness YouTuber and owns BIOS 3 Training as well as GIFD Labs. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about injury. So, without further gabbing from me, let's just get to the show.
1: Yeah, so I'm so excited to have you on here um, because in light of my recent fun that I've been having with just having my hip completely overhauled, I figured it was a good opportunity to talk about uh, what to do when you're faced with an injury. (laughs) So (laughs) So do you have a uh, hip replacement? No, I um had a really nasty cam lesion on my uh the end of my femur and it basically pulverized my labrum and all the inside of my hip socket so they had to go in and fix all that up so Yeah. Yeah, good times. So I got some hardware and all sorts of fun going on in there. So <laughs> Long, long, long recovery road, but uh, it went a lot better than they thought it was going to go. And um, I'm already up moving around pretty well and stuff. So hopefully that means I will recover faster.
2: Well, usually as a general rule of thumb, people that are, um, I can see your little picture here. That's on the thing. It shows you like you're probably a figure competitor. Um, usually we'll heal so much faster. The doctors aren't even ready for it. Be I mean, totally honest with you. You know, they don't realize that the diet and stuff that we stick to heals our bodies. I mean, they know, but they don't really have people that follow it like we do. So when they yeah. finally have a patient that follows the stuff, we usually heal very, like, usually about half the time they, they say we're going to.
1: Well, that's good to know, because in the months and weeks and even days leading up to this, I've found myself in every kind of mood, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I found myself huh. in the... Let's train extremely hard up until the day we go in for surgery and get as many gains as we can mood. I found myself in the excuse my French, but the fuck it mood because I'm like, whatever, <laughs> I'm gonna be down for a while, who cares? Or the oh never mind, I'm just not gonna do it and I won't ever squat or do any movements that require me to do that, you know, just every mood every mood possible. You know, and then like looking into every scenario and reading everything as to like, okay, what could I do to keep my gains? What could I do to not lose my lean mass? Um, You know, so it's been, it's been interesting, but I'm really glad now that all the major surgery and stuff is over that I got it done. Cause I can already tell a difference and I am not even moving to my full potential at this moment. So (laughs) that's, that's a good thing. Um, But anyway, I thought I would bring you on here and we can kind of go through the stages of of what happens with, um, you know, when you are faced with an injury, because there's a lot of, of emotional and physical things that happen and, yeah. you know, ways to prepare yourself for that.
2: Absolutely. I started training when I was 14 years old, um, got bit by the iron bug then was competing on stage by the time I was 17 years old in high school, um, continued to compete. Um, except for I had a short break when I was doing professional wrestling, which I had to cut back on the training legs and stuff like that for that. Um, competed for 20 years, um, national level NPC competed for five more years after that in, um, men's physique. Uh, currently I'm an NPC judge this year, I've moved up to head judge and, um, 44 years old. So I've had about 20, 30 years worth of injuries and working around them and some not so serious, some very serious. So that's where I'm at now. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And you just recently had a major injury too, right?
2: Yeah, I mean it definitely changed my life, and uh, it's gonna. It was two years, gonna be two years coming up um, in this March, the beginning of this March. I tore my pec. I had, um, it was, I had a very big bench press when I was younger, and we didn't have the the cell phones with the cameras and stuff like that. And I had a 495 pound bench at like 21 years old. I was big, I was strong, and I just was really good at bench pressing like my whole life, and I never had an issue. I had one kind of strain that happened. Like uh, when I was probably around 30 or something, 28, 30, I didn't warm up. I just started with 315 on the bench and had like a strain. It was like a pull, but never really had any issues until I tore my rotator cuff on my right side. And um, while that was healing, I didn't have to have surgery for that. While it was healing, um, you know, it healed up pretty solid, but I always kind of babied the right side because it had been injured. So now seven or eight years goes by, I haven't touched a bench press because I was worried about the rotator cuff. And I was using all the weight on all the machines at the gym. It was getting to the point where I just, it wasn't, I couldn't continue. I couldn't progress anymore. So I said, let me just go back to benching. And I was a much lighter body weight. I was around the 270 pound mark when I was hitting the the 495. Now I was walking around at 205. So I said, I haven't even tried to bench in like eight or seven or eight years. So I laid down on the bench and I did 225 for 15, which hadn't even been near a bench in, you know, eight years. I said, wow, if I got 225 for the first time, if I actually train, I can get back to 405 fairly quickly. Like now I can document it. You know what I mean? Cause people would always give me shit about not, Oh, we we have never seen this big bench you had. It was like, you know, every- we were all benching over 400. Like the whole crew was benching over 400. It was just, it's just where I came from. The guys were big. They were strong. They took their drugs. They, they recovered. They did what they had to do. They ate a lot. And we all got big and strong. So I go in the gym and uh, my wife was with me vlogging it for, you know, the YouTube stuff. And Right before we do the next bench, which is the following week, she says you're going to get hurt. And I said no, I'm fine. I'm like I am, I'm good to go. And I lay down. I warmed up. I did 225 for like 12 or 13. I did 275. I just I went for one rep just to see what it felt like. So I was moving up in weight, and it was so light that I was like, oh, I'll get 315 today, easy. I'm already almost back to four or five. It's only been two weeks, so I put 315 on the bar. I, I waited about two or three minutes. I get down under the bar. I pick it up. As soon as I pick it up, the light feels like there's, the weight feels like there's nothing on the bar. Like, it's super light. I'm like, this is great. And I have it on camera. This is awesome. It's all progressing great. I bring the bar down. I touch my chest. I go to the You hit that little bit of sticking point. All of a sudden, I felt the pec just rip. I felt my left pec just tear right off the bone and roll up. And I was Ugh. like, oh, no. And meanwhile, my wife is videoing this when she said I was going to hurt. And I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. And uh, so I tell the guy who spotted me, I said, take it. And he didn't hear me. So I had to drop the weight on my chest, which tore the other side slightly. And I had some bruising on the other side, too. And uh, finally, he pulls the weight off me. And as soon as I sat up, my whole pack was swollen to the point. Where it was like four times the size of the other one, like instantly. Wow. And I uh, was like, I looked at my wife, and she's just looking at me like, are you going to try again? She didn't realize I tore my pack. I had a hoodie on. And I said, um, I just tore my pack. And she just looked at me at this. Like, she went pale. She went completely, like, ghostly white. I said, are you kidding? I said, no, I'll be right back. I went in the locker room, took my hoodie off. And you could see the, the swelling was just crazy right away. And I was like, man, this is not good. I got to go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital. And they confirmed that it was a pec tear. I did an x-ray. The pec is completely torn off the bone. The tendon was still attached, which means surgery is not an option. I'll just let it heal. And um, that was something that I had just started a brand new business, um, GIF Labs. It was just me. I was doing all the logistics. I was packing the boxes. I was doing the social media. I was doing everything. So now here I am with a torn pec, which I have to stabilize that arm. I can't move that arm for a while. Meanwhile, I'm trying to pack boxes, do the business at the same time, try to maintain my physique. And it was like, I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, you have that one injury that finally takes you out, out, and it really, really does change
1: your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what did, um as far as like, were, you said you were still trying to maintain your physique. Right. um, What were you doing to try to do that?
2: Well, I mean, in hindsight, I was just really, really stupid. Um, to be honest with you. I was, I tore my rotator cuff in 2014 and I spent, in 2016, I spent a weekend out in Vegas with Dorian Yates, um, six-time Mr. Olympia. And I was talking to him about how, when he tore his bicep, how did he make it to the Olympia and still win? And he said, oh, mate. And he's like, I was training the other side of my body. And I said, you just train on one side? He said, yeah, there are pictures if you look for him. They never had them in the magazines back in the day. There's pictures of him wearing a sling, doing like one side of his body, the exercises. And I was like, why? I said, then you're going to be unbalanced. He goes, no. And he's trying to explain it, but he didn't know exactly all the mechanisms behind it, but it's called contralateral training, where you're training the other side of your body and the nerve endings on the opposite side that's the injury still gets a signal. So you still have those movement patterns the whole time, even if you're not moving that side that's stabilized. So now what happens is when you're ready to go train that other side again, if you've been training the opposite side, the movement pattern is still there. You start training faster. You don't have to go through the whole process of relearning the movements and stuff, whereas if you didn't train at all. So that was something okay. that I didn't really know much about and I had to look a lot into. And then when I found it, I said, okay, that's the key. The key is to not stop training. Like I have to keep training and I have to train that other side, but I'm going to be so imbalanced. I'm going to have like one big side and one small side. And that was the next conundrum to try to figure out how that works.
1: Okay. So, and it's funny that you mentioned something about the contralateral training because I have a friend that I train with on occasion and he's like, well, Hey, you could just train the other side. Yeah. He's like, you know, uh, he's like, seriously, it, there's studies that revolve around that that show that it works. Yeah. So
2: absolutely. No, it's a real thing. Like, um, um and even though Dorian didn't know back in the day, cause it was very new when Dorian did it it was probably in the late mid nineties to late nineties when he did it. There was a lot of studies behind it, but there was science behind it already back
1: then. Mm hmm. So, when you sustain an injury and you stop using something, or say you're just even out of the gym for a, a week or two, you notice things are noticeably, they, you seem smaller. And like some, of, like some people are like, no, that's just in your head, but there is actually some truth to yeah, that,
2: absolutely. correct? Yeah, no, if I take a week off from the gym, my body detrains that quickly. So I think I'll honestly, a lot of it mm-hmm. has to do with genetics. If you're the type of person that doesn't hold ma- muscle mass naturally easily, like you're a naturally thin person, You take a week out of the gym, even if your macros are still there, your body detrains, it goes backwards. Like you need that stimulation constantly to keep that muscle there without the stimulation the body doesn't need. It gets rid of it. If you're the type of person that builds muscle very easily, but you can't lose, tendency to maintain their muscle mass, even when they're not training to a a more of a degree than somebody that normally would lose muscle easier. So I definitely think that there's a genetic component to it. Not just, and, and everybody wants to like to, and my thing is, Science is great, but there's so many things that science don't explain because they don't actually look for those other factors. They look at certain variables, but they miss they completely miss other ones. So yeah, there'll be science saying that, oh, you can maintain your muscle mass for this long, you know, without training. Well, what about the guy that literally at 40 years old is 125 pounds if he's not training? That has a super fast metabolism, he's eating McDonald's every day, he's going crazy with the food, and he's out of the gym for a like, week. His body will detrain in that period of time. But science just hasn't studied that type of individual yet. So they do a blanket statement that says that everybody can maintain their muscle mass as long as, you know, you, you're eating your macros. You don't have to train. And your body will be fine for two weeks. I think there's absolutely a, an individual aspect to it that is not looked at by science. Science wants to put everybody in a general consensus box and put everybody under the same umbrella. And that's not what we're dealing with when we're, you know, bodybuilders, we're individuals.
1: Right. Right. And then so like in the first couple of weeks, though, you're technically not losing muscle, correct? You're just losing glycogen and fluid mostly because the muscle is not being stimulated.
2: Biggest crock of shit I've ever heard. So the science backs it up. And this goes back to the Soviets and the Germans and even the Bulgarians. They found and this this studies back it up that the muscle is fully recovered. If the nutrition is on point, a muscle is fully recovered within eight hours of training it. You can literally train a muscle again. You know, your central nervous system, hold it from ball game. So that muscle, 72 hours used to be the minimum you'd have to wait to train. That was like mm-hmm. the three times back in the day. Well, 72 hours would be the maximum without your body going backwards. So there are Olympic athletes that do the Olympic lifts that train every single lift, every single day, multiple times a day. So they would literally get up at like, you know, eight o'clock, they'd have their meal. By 10 o'clock, they were in there doing cleans and jerks or whatever it was. And they would literally be infused with an iv full of aminos and glycogen right after the workout they would literally be healed and ready to go three hours later and do the exact same movements again getting ready for olympic competition so they prove that the body heals faster but the problem is most people don't pay enough attention to their nutrition to begin with let mm-hmm. alone are they timing it exactly like these olympic athletes but if you're like if you're out there training everything twice a week and you skip a week your body will detrain within that week off that's just how it is like it 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 boggles my mind because people start going, well, glycogen and water and this and that it's like, what do you think the muscle is? Most of the muscle is water to begin with, so if we start talking about mm-hmm. water content and stuff, well yeah, if you lose water, you are losing muscle muscle is part of I mean, water is part of the muscle you know it's not always just the mm-hmm. fibrous tissue, so you know there's the sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, which is again the, the liquid being retained within within the muscle cell well it's not fibrous you know it's it's liquid, so even if mm-hmm. you just lost glycogen and water you have lost muscle because that's what's going to show up at the dex scan it's going to show up that you lost muscle so on one aspect people are um you know they want to make it seem like all their hard work doesn't go away that fast if you just stop but at the same time without the stimulus and the food the muscle does detrain it doesn't need to be there it doesn't sit around for a month and go let's just hang out and see what happens for a month and if we need to we'll go back and start growing again the muscle just like if you go in the gym and you train the muscle today it starts to adapt immediately after the workout's done if you stop training a muscle group for a week, it starts detraining as fast as it's recovered. And there's no stimulus to make it um, break down and be able to recover again and grow. Once that stimulus
1: is gone, it starts to break down immediately. People just don't understand that. So when you were talking with, you know, we were kind of talking about, um, contralateral training and stuff. There's also, um, a lot of studies out there that show that if you just keep the muscle stimulated, it doesn't have to be high volume, heavy reps, or, you know, go, you know, go into failure, just keeping it stimulated will help you hang on to it. Um, are you still gonna, are you gonna still see loss at that point? Or are you going to be able to keep what you have, um you know, without mitigating, I guess, loss of muscle. Well,
2: I mean, what, what they're trying to explain is there's a stimulus to the muscle. You'll maintain what you have. But if that stimulus to the muscle is a bicep curl on that side with 50 pounds and you now do 10 pounds, you're still stimulating the muscle. However, you're stimulating with 40 pounds less. No, you can't maintain the 40 pound bicep look with 10 pounds. So it's like, they're correct, but there's like missing pieces of the puzzle that science just doesn't get. Like they're looking for like the very, very basic things. Like, if you stimulate a muscle still, like let's say you use um, a TEMS unit and you stimulate it electronically, and you're using that, which people do in physical therapy and things like that, it'll help the muscle to be broken down and recover and try to maintain a certain point. But you're not going to be able to take an electro stim unit and be able to maintain something that you've been benching 500 pounds with. Like the stimulus, the muscle will match the stimulus. Like your muscle will not be a certain size unless there's a stimulus to make it that size. Otherwise, we could all just bench the bar and have pecs that look like Arnold. There has to be progressive resistance as the body adapts to that and recovers and grows. You need to have at least that type of stimulus, if not more, to make the body maintain it. So although they're correct that if you have a stimulus to the muscle, it'll maintain a certain amount. Well, if you go from you know 50 pounds to 10 pounds, the the muscle will atrophy down to where that 10 pounds is stimulating it. So yes, you'll maintain more than if you didn't do anything, but it's a far cry from what you originally did before
1: you were injured. All right. So say you're you've been injured, you've gone through proper recovery, and it's time to start lifting again. Um, I'm guessing I'm just taking a hunch here, but I'm guessing you're probably like me, or you want to just dive in and go at 100 miles an hour back to where you were at. Yeah, um, a lot of athletes <laughs> have that tendency for that to happen. But um, is that the case? Or should you jump back in at a, you know, and slowly get back into things, I guess? Well, I kind of had a different um, – you know, I just—I don't
2: know how much you know about my background, but I don't like to follow what everybody else says. I like to look at things logic with logic and reason and say, okay, what can I do that maybe people are not talking about? Let me take the science and see what I know. Let me see what makes sense logically and see what I can do. So what I did was with the rotator cuff, I did exactly what you're talking about. I did legs every other day for like six weeks. I didn't train any upper body. My upper body shrunk up. My legs stayed the same. And then when I came back, I started really light and started slowly increasing, just like what we're talking about, you know, what you just said. Now, when I taught my pack, it was a little bit different. I looked at it as now it's not going to be like my upper body versus my upper body will be different size wise. It's going to be like one side of my body. Now it's throwing the symmetry off in general, and that throws stabilizers off, throws everything off, even your functional strength. It'll throw up if one one side is is atrophied. So what I decided to do was something that um, I hadn't heard about, so I just experimented. It worked perfectly when I had to stabilize that arm from the pec here, my left arm, I started doing everything with my right side and my leg extremely light on the good muscles. So let's say I could only curl a five pound dumbbell with my left arm because the pec there. I would only curl five pounds with my other arm. So my whole body atrophied at the same time and evenly so that when I started training, my whole body came back evenly. And it was about a quarter of the time. Doctor said about six months, within two months, I was back to full speed.
1: Interesting. Well, and I know that's part of the reason I brought you on here. Like, I know uh, when I research people, you, uh, a lot of people find you controversial, which I'm fine with that. (laughs) I think every, you know, as far as things go with myself, um, I don't think there's any one way to do things. Um, And I like to um, explore all realms of things. And, you know, just like everybody kind of pick what I think is is best for me because i'm an individual so i have no problem with um you know looking at, at everybody's ways of seeing things and i think that's um a nice thing about the the uh industry we're in right you can skin a cat a hundred different ways
2: absolutely this, you know you, like everybody seems to have this like they're bound by science well science is this science is that well let's be 100 real right in our industry, the people that are doing the best absolutely have no idea about science. All these people that are winning their great physiques, they have zero idea about science. You ask them, it's bro science to the max. Then you have people like um, Ben Pukulski, who is very scientifically based. He never got to the point where Branch Warren and those other guys got. He had all the science behind him. But the guys that didn't follow science didn't lock themselves inside of a box and said, I can only have these limitations because science says so the things that science haven't studied yet and they don't understand, bodybuilders are usually 10 years ahead of what science actually knows. Like a lot of scientists, my doctor had no idea why a bodybuilder would use insulin. He thought if we weren't diabetic and you shot insulin, you would die. He had no concept of how bodybuilders were using that. He was a doctor. He went through med school and everything. He had no idea, no concept of it. So I look at it like, oh, the science is great and I read it and I kind of try to understand it. But I go, but I've seen this other thing happen, but doesn't this make sense too? And then I'll go out and try it. And if it works, cool. If not, I just scrap it. But if it works and there's no science behind it, why shouldn't I use it? You know, like it doesn't make any sense. Like it made sense to me if I trained the other side of my body, let everything shrink up at one time. And then when everything felt good, go back again and everything grew at the same time. It didn't leave my body so in where I'd be trying to make one side catch up to the other, which I felt like would be harder than have everything and then everything come back up again.
1: I gotcha. So like jumping back into things. You're starting slower with lower weight. Right. Of course, yeah. you're not just going in and you know crushing what you were before. Obviously, yeah. and then um, because of this tactic, how long did it use? Did it take for you to start to see yourself come back to where you were when you started before you got injured? Well, it was. I mean, I'll, I'd
2: honestly, I'll never be back to where I was before I was injured. I didn't have the surgery because it couldn't be done. Which means that there's a st- instability in that shoulder joint that even when I do shoulder presses and you know, tricep extensions, things like that, you can feel the instability because the pec minor is no longer there. It's not holding that joint steady where it normally would. Well the first thing was realizing, hey, I gotta train differently now. Like things are just gonna be different. This injury is definitely set. It was my own fault. I need to own up to it. And things are just never gonna be the same. You know, there's a lot of people out there that don't agree with that. I'd say step in my shoes for a day and come train with me and you, know, you really train like be what I feel feeling that shoulder joint ready to rip apart if you try to push it too much you start going okay things have to change you know what I mean I have to find different ways around things and I believe that training is not scientific I don't believe it's scientific at all all these guys that have the science and stuff I believe they're way behind I believe it's an art form if you look at Arnold or Dorian or any of these guys when they trained it was an art form they didn't know anything about science they pushed their bodies to the max they listened to their bodies they took notes to say, see what their bodies were saying to them and stuff so it's like it really is an individual thing, but wrapping your head around the fact that you're never going to be able to do what you used to do was probably one of the hardest things at all. After that, then I realized, okay, now I just need to see how far I can go. And it was only maybe, I mean, I had the the sling on my arm that fast around my waist for probably about two or three weeks. And then I could move the arm around and I was doing just isometric things for probably about a week. And then I started with like two pound dumbbells, two and a half pound dumbbells, moving up to five pound dumbbells. And it was just a very slow, steady feel it out as I go. Like there was no timetable, but it was like, yeah, I want to get there as fast as possible, but I don't also don't want to re-injure that. I think a lot of people are so concerned. Like it really took my ego being pushed aside to know that my body's trying to heal right now. It doesn't really care about maintaining muscle mass. It doesn't care about being big. It doesn't care about the fitness industry. It cares about that ripped pec right now. And Mike Benzer was the first one I remember way back in the day where he talked about the different stresses of the body and how your body only had so many reserves to deal with these stresses, whether it's external, internal, you know, whether you're doing it to yourself or whatever. And I really stepped back and said, well, I need to focus on healing first and not worrying about my physique. I knew the physique would come back. It can't not. So I said, now I'm going to step back as I go, let my body heal. And then when I feel like it's ready and it's healed, then I'll push it. I think people jump the gun too fast and they're worried about their physique because their ego won't allow them to look in the mirror and say all my hard work went to shit right now for a couple of months because I'm injured. So they try to move too fast and then another injury occurs or you re-injure the same injury and now you really can't train and set sets you back even further. I think the ego is a big deal when it comes to major injuries and dealing with um, you know, the fact that you have to do things differently now and you're not going to be the same. It's just all there is to it. Things have to be done differently now and that's a big kick to the ego for a lot of people.
1: Well, and we are in, like it or not, we are in an ego sport. Nobody can say that they do this just for the fun of it. Everybody has a little bit of ego there, I think. You know, Um, it's very, you know, it is a very aesthetic sport. Um, We do it because we want to look a certain way. Yes, we might enjoy training, but we, we are trying to achieve a certain look. And so, you know, it's hard to put that aside for a while and let your body heal when you are like oh my gosh everything i've worked for has gone to shit when in all actuality it hasn't you can get it back you know right. <laughs> so yeah that's it's hard nobody definitely... wants to backwards.
2: i mean who wants to train for 20 years and then go backwards for any reason nobody no nobody you know, it doesn't no. matter you don't want your bank account to go backwards you don't go backwards at school like nobody wants to do that but sometimes in order to move forward we have to go backwards which is the sucky part but i look at it as a lesson to be like, you know what, this is like a lesson for life, not just training. Like sometimes you're going to take a step back to be able to go forward.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, you know, fortunately I, you know, and it's been a rough thing on my end of stuff because it's like, okay, well, I'm going to look like, Oh my gosh, there's a bodybuilding show. I'm going to two of them here in another eight weeks to, you know, help out with other people. And I'm like, Holy cow, I'm going to be soggy. Everybody's going to be judging me. Yeah, <laughs> That's the first it's hard. Thing that it's
0: super like, hard. A, it's
1: it's ridiculous. But on the flip side, I'm like, freak, who cares? I'll get it back, you know? And I'm just, you know, mentally working on, Hey, guess what? You know, this is not a permanent state that I'm in, you know? Right. So, and it's just a journey that I've had to, um, to a road that I've had to walk, I guess. And, and, uh, it's going to be something that I will come back for, you know, from, but it's hard to not get an, uh, uh, it's hard to not think, well, man, I, I went all the way back and everything is lost, you know.
2: Well, it's like I found that, um, I don't know if you know who Rich Piano was, but Rich was actually a very close friend of mine. And I found through him that most people are not going to judge you as large as you judge yourself. Like you're going to be thinking, oh, soggy, I look like crap. I'm going to the show. People are going to judge me. Most people are actually not even going to pay attention. Most people could give a shit less what you look like. They would just be like, they're more interested they in yeah. them. Yeah, <laughs> they're more interested in everything else yeah. going around but you. I remember when I tore my rotator cuff, I had to drop some weight, and I was going to the Olympia with Rich um, at his five percent booth, and Rich was like around three hundred and thirty pounds, and I was like, I can't go to this booth being, you know, two hundred pounds. I got to be two fifty. Like, I can't do this. So I hit him up and said, Man, I don't know if I am going to make the expo. And he was like, Why? It's like because I, you know, I tore my rotator cuff, I can't train, and he was like, Who cares? Like, he literally was like, Why? What difference does it make? I'm like, dude, you are so big, I can't stand next to you. I am going to get like dwarfed. And then I realized, like, he didn't give a shit. He just wanted me to be there and hang out. You know what I mean? And then, like, when I got there, I realized that nobody actually gave a shit. I was the one that was self-conscious. I was the one walking around looking at myself in the the windows and stuff, trying to catch a look at myself to make sure I didn't look, you know, ridiculous standing next to these guys. And I honestly have found that time and time again. Nobody really cares. I've had people that I've, you know, known to be like, yeah, I mean, I've just lost so much weight. And I'm like, really? I didn't even notice. Like, okay, cool. You know, like, it doesn't matter. Just hold ourselves to high standards that other people don't hold us to. And then we start to beat up on ourselves because we can't meet the standards that we've held ourselves to, even though we can't right now because we're injured.
1: Right. Well, and so that's another thing, like, let's go to diet here. Um, See, I coach myself, so I had gone over how I was going to approach my diet um a hundred thousand times and I changed my mind I think probably double that uh <laughs> on how I was gonna approach it you know it's like uh let's, let's second guess this you know oh no I got a plan no never mind I'm changing my plan You know? uh but you know and then and then I had this plan and then I I you know I come out of surgery and I've felt like garbage and all I want to do is eat garbage <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm like uh you know so plan failed um but, you know, how do you approach nutrition when you are not going to be training? Because obviously the first thing, you know, one would think is that, oh, I've got to back my calories off. I've got to back all this stuff off because I'm not going to be training and I won't be burning those calories.
2: Absolutely. I think diet, I'm My they call me the diet guy. Like if you look me up online, they'll say the diet guy because I believe that diet is 99% of what we do. And I don't believe in, I did, don't get me wrong. When I was younger, I ate the most amount of junk you could possibly fit in your body in the off season. Until I realized like this is just stupid. Like it's hindering my progress. I don't think it's going to do anything for my health in the future. So I eat what they call quote unquote clean year round. Um, I eat kind of bro. I have my cheat days where I eat whatever I want. But knowing that I have that healthy macro and micro dense food available to me all the time makes me understand that that's what's going to take for my body to heal. My body's not going to heal. There's all this crap. It's going to take twice as long. So I make sure that. Right. All my macros are on point. And I do like I don't really like to adjust my fats because I don't like to eat a ton of fat to begin with. But I'll adjust the carbs down depending on, you know, if I can't train or whatever the case may be. But I rotate my carbs year round. I carb cycle year round to stay lean. So it was like I just kind of basically looked at it as keep doing my cardio, keep training with the weights at light lightweight, bring the carbs down slightly. Like maybe if I'm taking the 200 grams, I bring them down to like 150 was enough for me to, to just make sure that I maintain my leanness. Try to stay as lean as you can while you're not training. And then you'll be able to grow because you grow so much faster when you're lean. I never believed that. I used to eat all kinds of junk and get fat and then diet down and drop 60 pounds for a show. Until so uh, Jay Cutler, who's been a good close friend of mine for about 25 years, was like, oh, you need to stay lean. You grow faster. And I never listened to him. I would be like I'd be with him and I'd just drive right away and go to McDonald's and eat. Like I didn't listen. And then finally, I got to the point where I told my rotator cuff and I was like, well, there's no point in getting fat and trying to lose the fat and build muscle. I'll just stay lean. And I got really lean for the first time in like an off season when I tore the rotator cuff and lo and behold, I couldn't keep my weight down. And like my body weight kept going up. My muscle mass kept going up when I was eating slightly more macros with clean food. I was like, why am I growing so fast? It was like your body when it stays leaner for some reason grows faster and you can regrow that muscle or muscle memory takes place even faster if you are already lean. We saw this phenomenon with um, Victor Martinez when he got arrested. He went to prison for six years and he came out. He was like a bone rack. He was super thin, but he was lean. All he did was diet the muscle off while he was in there. Stayed. When he went right back to training and stuff, the muscle came right back but he was already lean. So I think the diet is super important. But again, person to person, it's going to need to be adjusted. But I don't believe in these like, well, I'm not training right now, so I don't have to be that strict with my diet. If you're injured and you're trying to heal, I think you have to be even more strict with your diet. You have to make sure those vitamins, those minerals are coming in. You need to make sure that collagen is coming to your diet. You need to make sure that your proteins in there, your carbohydrates, your, your essential fatty acids. Those things have to be there for your body to be optimal to heal on a daily basis. And now with an injury – You're asking your body to do a lot more than it normally does. So those things to me are super important.
1: Right. And then, you know, it takes more calories, obviously, to heal as well, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah. So you're
2: already reducing your um, energy expenditure a lot by not training. So it's like you don't need to increase your calories. If you keep them the same, you're automatically increasing them because you're you know decreasing your output, which that's why you don't have to change them that much. You know, you don't have to restrict a bunch of calories because you're not moving. Your body's using that energy trying to heal. So you just keep them pretty much the same. Your body uses those calories that you normally use to train to heal itself.
1: Right. Absolutely. Uh, so that's kind of the approach that I decided to take. I went I went all over the place, trust me, <laughs> like with what I was going to do. But then I was like, no, I'm just going to keep it exactly the way that I've been doing it. Um I've reverse dieted myself up to a decent amount of calories a day. So I was like, I'm just going to stick with that because my body seems to like that that range and then just go with it. And of course, I prepped all my meals, had them all in the refrigerator and then just felt like. I tried to eat one of them, and I was like, oh, yuck, (laughs) so give me a couple more days, and then I'll be back on the wagon, but I was like, holy smokes, plan failed right there, and then, you know, with the bodybuilder mentality, the first thing you think is, uh, oh, my gosh, I'm going to melt even faster now because I only ate, like, 40 grams of protein today, right? (laughs) You know, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy when you adhere to something so much and you deviate from it slightly, the things that your brain tells you, (laughs) you know, like you have to to rewire uh, your brain because you're doing something different now. Yep. Yep. And it's, you know, I'm sure, um, having low protein for a couple of days, isn't going to make me shrink into a prune, but that's what my brain wants to tell me. Right. Well, it's also, your brain's also used to having a certain amount of
2: protein. So don't forget, and this yep. is another thing that science doesn't necessarily study, but psychology kind of studies it a little bit, that when you change your behavior, your brain kind of has, um, like, it's very independent, but it's strict, too. So you do something consistently over and over again, your brain gets used to that, it develops a pattern. When you change that pattern, your brain starts to get the signal, like, hey, what's going on? And then what it does is it does things like sends a signal, like nervousness or anxiety, being like, hey, what's going on? Why isn't this happening? And it forces you to focus on the thing that you changed. And it makes you freak out even more like, oh, no, I'm not taking enough protein. Like normally you might not even pay attention to that. But now because it reduced right. so fast that your brain has a signal like, hey, we don't have all these aminos coming in and you understand the amino acid pool, like if you don't have enough in the amino acid pool, there's nothing to pull from. So like your brain's first thing is to get more amino acids in the amino acid pool. So it makes you start thinking about how much protein, how much amino acids, things like that. And it can actually really kind of mess with your mind to the point where you start questioning yourself about a lot of things.
1: Mm hmm. Well, and that's the other aspect of this. The other facet is that, you know, mentally, you can go down this road that will also inhibit your recovery. Right. You know, um, you need to to not be going down this hole of, of thinking everything's shrinking like at 100 miles an hour and, you know, just focus on getting better. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, so anyways, there's a lot of facets to it. Is there anything else that you can think of that would um, help with your recovery?
2: Um, I mean, I did everything. I used uh, massage therapy. I used uh, the home massage. I got the Thames unit. Um, I'm a big believer in anything that's available to me that I can use to heal faster or progress faster. I'm going to do that. So um, I waited for the massage therapy. They told me to wait for the tissue to scar up before I did the massage therapy. But I used the um, a home Thames unit to start stimulating the pack. like within, I guess, about two weeks after I tore it just a really low intensity. And um, I I honestly, I don't know if it worked or not. I don't know if it helped or not. It was, it was such a low intensity. I was trying to just get some blood flow into the muscle by stimulating it, but I couldn't really move the joint around and stuff to be able to press anything like chest wise. So I used um, another massage tool that I would run that over that area. And after the bruising went away from the tear, I could then feel the muscle kind of pump up from the massage tool and I'm like, all right, the blood is getting in there now. So that was a good thing. So it's, you know, there are things like that. There are things like um, peptides, like BPC-157 and TB-500 that um, I actually had prescriptions for from my doctor that helped me heal extremely fast. Also, some doctors are prescribing those now. Some of them aren't. But these things will also, again, make you heal. It's, you're like Wolverine. You get cut at night. And in the morning, the cut's gone. Like these things make your body heal so fast. And I think that science in general is catching up to that stuff too. And they're understanding that mm-hmm. diet combined with these other things it's causing a synergy and these things are helping
1: people heal you know twice as fast which is amazing right and there's a lot of major research with the BPC 157 oh, and amazing. the TB500 uh Ben Greenfield he's a big proprietor of peptides um they're kind of that they're becoming more and more uh known i guess it was funny because i was reading the newspaper the other day and i opened it up in the the like health section and it, there was actually an article saying our peptides right for you and i was like holy cow <laughs> yeah. this is going mainstream <laughs> you know wow which is why they, so, they you know
2: they've cracked down and now technically peptides and SARMs are part of the SARM control act which went into effect on january 1st 2020 they're all illegal to sell now they are not supplements mm-hmm. they're 100 percent illegal and they actually amended it to where anything that could be considered something that alters your body even SERMS which are um um, selective estrogen modulators, those are even on that now too. So even things like Novadex, Tamoxicin, all these things have been added to it. My question was, why all of a sudden did they crack down on it? Well, all of a sudden now we're seeing doctors and scientists talk about these peptides and how they heal. We've seen these anti-aging, anti-aging agencies prescribing things like hexarelin and ipamarelin, things that weren't done like five years ago. So I got a feeling that these right. doctors and stuff are now starting to push these peptides. And the reason why they crack down and make them illegal is because these things are going to be prescription only. And Big Pharma is going to wind up producing these things very soon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you there. I've talked about it with other people as well. It's like, well, you know, something that works, of course, the uh, Big Pharma is going to be on top of that yeah. as as fast as they can. So um, it's unfortunate, but whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so uh, but yeah, no, there's a lot of studies out there, and it's really interesting. I listen to a ton of research and and read constantly on it, and it's really interesting, you know, how that stuff works. So, um, yep, definitely something that is going to be getting even bigger. So, and you know, at, at least if it does, big pharma does get into it, then there will hopefully be available to help heal people, you know, yeah, I want to say so be available, more...
2: but then people wind up paying $500 for a thing of BP 157, you know, instead of $20. Right. So that's the only downfall.
1: Yeah. And that's super unfortunate, but yeah. Um, so yeah. And you're, you do coaching too, as, as well, right. Yeah. I do um, <clears throat> coaching online worldwide and my
2: in-person business, I haven't really taken anybody new for about five years. Um, my schedule just gets so crazy. I still train my people in Maryland. I live in Virginia my schedule gets so crazy mm-hmm. between being a judge and the expos and flying around and stuff that I can't really take on more in person. So online, I can get a, it really get a lot of people all over the world. So like, let's say here, everybody's asleep in America. I can be training someone in another country that's up because it's daytime over there. So I really like doing the the global stuff online.
1: Um. So my question with that was, is I'm sure that you see a lot, you have a lot of clients that, or you not don't have a lot, but you do have clients from time to time that, do sustain an injury, and that is something that you guys have to work through. Um, I would assume. Usually, I get the people coming to me
2: that already have the injuries, and the reason being is they wind up finding one of my videos somewhere or a post somewhere on Instagram or something like that. And, um, and like I documented everything that happened with my pec, like, there are videos out there of me. There's the video I tore it is out there too. I haven't seen it, I've never watched it because it was too painful, but they've seen something about me coming back from an injury. The rotator cuff, I tore my forearm before. Um, my pecs so they come to me based on well this is a guy that already knows how to deal with people that are injured he's a little bit older i got maybe arthritis or whatever the case may be or you know so because i've had enough injuries throughout the years and being around the sport some of my friends have also so if i haven't been through it most of my friends have so it's like you just have a good working knowledge of injuries so i get people that are injured coming to train with me
1: right well and so and another thing that i've noticed is you know, just being in the industry and being around people that do this is some people, you know, you have these people that I don't know how you feel about this, but these people that they are depleted constantly, they just go from show to show to show to show. And they're the ones that are getting injured even more because they're not letting their body kind of refuel. Um, how do you feel about that?
2: Um, yeah, I agree. Um, in 2015, I think it was, I did five shows in five months every month I was doing a show and I was still traveling twice, um, twice a month, try flying all over the place. And my body was breaking down to the point where I just, I didn't get injured, but I could feel things were starting to add up. Like they were starting to stack up. Like you'd have these little twinges here and there that, you know, you're like, that's not a normal feeling. Like, you know, something's up. And, um, you know, I did back off after the fifth show, I backed off and my body did heal it. You know, it did, I was no longer in like a deficit where I was when I was competing. But at the same time, You know, I also wasn't really paying attention to things like collagen or my vitamins and minerals in general, too, which also have to help you, heal too. I mean, like you said, people are depleted. Most people don't understand what that means. It doesn't just necessarily mean glycogen depleted because glycogen isn't going to force an injury on you. But these vitamins and minerals, these micronutrients that people don't realize that you have to have fully stored. If they're not there, your body breaks down. Your body can only function optimally if vitamins and minerals are there. So when you start to get depleted because you're only eating certain foods, so you're missing out on vitamins on this food or whatever the case may be, and your body starts to get depleted of those vitamins because of all the stress you're putting on it, that's when the injuries start taking place. So I feel like it really could be negated quite a bit if someone was paying attention or at least food combining where they're using multiple different types of food that not just got their macros, but got the different amounts of vitamins from different foods or just took a multivitamin through the whole thing. It really does cut down on, on injuries. And the other thing is people just wind up getting tired as they get tired, their form breaks down. You know, as they get tired, they're not thinking straight. They might put another 10 pounds in the bar when they shouldn't like things and just getting depleted. Like, I feel like the mindset in general, if you're competing too much, you're you're just literally walking the line of almost getting an injury like all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree with that. I mean, there's, People, I've said, hey, you know, you should probably take a nice off season and let your body kind of find some homeostasis for a while before you keep hammering on it, you know, because things are coming, you know. You can't improve
2: either. If you're not taking time to rest, you can't improve. So, what's the point if you're not getting to where you want to be and you're doing all these shows and you're not winning your pro card, then you need to improve. So, to improve, you have to stop. You can't just keep going.
1: Right. Absolutely. You know, and that sometimes that's a hard thing when you get stuck in a rut, especially a competition rut, you know, but I mean, to be honest, even with my surgery, I mean, I've had so many of my friends be like, oh, you, you totally needed this break. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I'm like, oh, you know, funny forced break, right. but you know, it's true. Sometimes you get stuck in a rut and you can overdo things and that can also have catastrophic results so um you know unfortunately mine wasn't from that it was just something that was probably bound to happen at one point or another matter of fact when the soon as i woke up from surgery the surgeon was like i am so glad we got in and took care of that because the minute that i opened you up it was staring me in the face (laughs) so i was like well okay that's good to know you know um but uh inadvertently i probably would have gotten injured at one point no matter what and that's going to be something i'm going to have to tread lightly around uh because i have another hip that has the same exact thing going on only it's not injured yet so i will have to be very very mindful with my training around that that my anatomy doesn't let me squat (laughs) you know and as much as i wanted squat it's just not i'm unfortunately put together a little different and i just Shouldn't do it. So So you know, it's funny because,
2: like, my question is: Why do you think that you have to? And and this is, I'm I'm totally setting you up with this question. Why do you think that you have to? Have at it. Like, why do you feel like? Well, and so
1: that's that's the funny thing. You don't, right? Right. But and so all these years, all these years, I um, I never did because it was super awkward for me. I had a hard time it just felt wrong yeah. in every way, you know, um, to back squat. I mean, there's other, so I just put a bunch of spins on it, did different variations or front squats or put myself in a position to where I didn't feel like I was getting stuck because it was really weird. I've trained with multiple people and they're like, what do you mean? Right. You know? And then the other thing is, is like a regular leg press for some reason, I just can't, you know, people will be leg pressing all this weight. I can't even barely, Leg press the sled because of my anatomy, I guess. Is, I don't know. Exactly.
2: I'm glad you said that because some people are not built to squat. Some people are not built to deadlift. Some people are not built to bench. Their levers of their arms, lever of their legs and their body length, stuff like that all comes into play when you move that weight. Now in 20, I mean, I think it's 2012. I had actually, I was doing barbell rows. And when I went to the bar back in the rack, I pulled something out of my back. My, my hip shifted and I like slipped a disc in my back. And I couldn't stand up straight. I mean, I was in so much pain. Like, I was literally walking bent over. So I got to the chiropractor. He puts it back into place. And he says, look, man, he goes, once this thing is out, he goes, you're going to have this problem. It's not going to be like it was ever. So I go back to my trainer, who was Phil Herndon at the time. And I said, Phil, I'm like, I'm disgusted. I said, I can't squat anymore. And he said, so? <laughs> and I just, like, I, what do you mean, so? He goes, you need to squat. We'll do leg presses. I was like, but you don't understand. I can't squat. And he goes, just, he's like, just calm down. Listen to me. And I wound up actually using the leg press, even though, you know, most people think the leg press is kind of like the easy way out. I was able to actually push my legs harder because my lower back was no longer a limiting factor. When I squatted, my lower back Mm -hmm. was a limiting factor because of the, the way that my body was situated. Well, lo and behold, that year, 2012 to 2013, I made the best progress I'd ever made in my legs without a single squat. And I got made fun of. People told me like, you're not hardcore. You're a wimp. You're this, you're that. You're not squatting. Like, but my legs improved. And when I look at people like Phil Heath, who doesn't necessarily go, I've never seen him squat free weights in my whole life. However, he's a seven-time Mr. Olympia. He's always done machines, right? Because it, the squat didn't feel right to him. Like he didn't go, and Dory Nates did the same thing. When he was squatting, he actually tore something in his hip and had to have surgery. He never squatted ever again. Here's a six-time Mr. Olympia. So I think that a lot of people get it in our heads that we have to do the big three, or we're never going to progress, or we're not hardcore, or we're taking the easy way out, or we're a wimp, or whatever the case may be but what do you do when your anatomy is not built for that movement you know like you just suck it up and hurt yourself and you know to be part of the team where everybody else is doing it or do you really step back and it's one of those things again where people say well you got to use proper form what if you are using proper form it still hurts it still doesn't work you know what is proper right. form you know like your form might be different than mine but i think it's great that you've kind of come to the conclusion that you don't really need to but In the back of your head, you still want to, you know what I mean? Like, I got to be hardcore. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's a mind melt. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, the, the crazy thing is, is ever since the beginning of me ever training that I can ever remember, like trying to leg press, for example, I would be like, why can I not do like, why do I never get better at this? Why does it always suck? You know? (laughs) And, and, and so same thing with the squat. And so I even, you know, after I came out of my last set of shows, I was like, okay, well the reason that I'm not developing the area that I want is probably because I just don't squat. So I'm going to start squatting. That's exactly what I told myself. So I hire a coach. I'm like, I need to learn how to do this right. And we worked and worked and worked on it and it did get better. He was able to tweak things to make it easier but then lo and behold, I end up, you know, with my labrum all torn and shredded. Yeah. You know, and it was and it wasn't the crazy thing was is it wasn't even painful when it happened. Like that showed up afterwards. So but just the constant repetitive motion on a on a joint that's not meant to it for my for me not meant to go the direction that it was going. Yeah. You know, ended up ended up having to have surgery. So, you know, in the future, I'm not squatting. <laughs> you know, it's just not not everyone's like oh you'll heal you'll get to do it again and i was like "Eh, yeah i don't think i because i don't want to cross this bridge with my other side you know so i'm all
2: good good that you learned the lesson because some people be like when can i squat again like that's the only thing they'll be thinking of like when can i squat again you know i have people asking me when are you gonna bench again jerry said never i mean i just ripped my pec off the bone i will never bench again like um there's no point you know like for what so i can tear my other pec makes no sense
1: yeah yep and i mean i know i i I'm sure that I will be able to get the development I need with some other exercise. I'm not too worried about it. You know, the only thing is is it's just like, it seems to be like this thing, this buzzword like squat, you know, yeah. you have to do that. If you want to have, you know, all of this stuff developed correctly, compound movements, but you know, right. I, I like to deadlift uh, and I actually, I love to deadlift and I've always hated squatting just because it's so uncomfortable for me. So I'm good. All right. I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> you know, good riddance. So yeah. Um, but anyway, so I'm sure though, you've had clients going back to that that have um, sustained an injury and you've had to help work them through it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so what, I guess what kind of, If you're working with somebody that has an injury, where do you begin with them? Because there's a whole mental aspect as well on top of that. And I'm sure that can be technical as a coach because you're going to have people that want to go further than they should be going when they're in the
2: recovery mode. I mean, I've been lucky enough to where if someone hires me to actually listen, like they want my advice. They're not (coughs) looking for a program. And I think that comes with just being around so long. I've been training people since I was 19. I'm 44 now. But for me, the first step in an injury is to get it diagnosed. Like so many people come to you as a trainer and go, well, I had this pain. I did this. It hurts when I do this. What do I do? I said, okay, does it hurt now? Yeah. And you're know, not even training. Yeah. Okay. You got to get a doctor and get diagnosed. Like you got to figure out what's going on. Like I, I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose you over the internet. Like you have to go get it looked at if needed x-rays, MRIs, all that stuff. Because now what you're saying is it's not like a little, you know, like one of those little overuse things. You have an injury. The hard part is getting them to actually go to the doctor and get it diagnosed. Once they do that, then it's like, okay, here's our options. And I always like to stay in touch with the doctor as well. And work with the doctor rather than being one of these like bodybuilding meathead guys. It's like doctors don't know anything. Look, I'm not a doctor. I know bodybuilding, but where there's other things that have to do with the body that I don't really understand. So therefore if I can stay in contact with the doctor and the client, then yeah, then we're going to have the best outcome. So the idea is to try to get um, what the doctor suggests as to what's going on and really understand what the doctor's talking about. Then start building an addition to the program, not necessarily the program, like an addition, maybe even put the program on freeze. Then you're doing just the physical therapy type stuff to get you back to where you were. Maybe you're just doing movement prep. I mean, it could be you're just doing band work. It could be you're just doing um, massage, like a whole massage tool, a TEMS unit. It could be any number of things. It's so different from person to person. But the first thing is really getting them to understand that, look, we're not going to be progressing right now. Okay. Let's put the brakes on. You're injured. You need to fix this. Cause if this is not fixed, this is going to throw a monkey wrench into everything from now on. Maybe not even just your training. You might not be able to pick up your kid if this thing is not healed. You know what I mean? Get it healed, get it healed properly and move on from there. And um, once we get to that point, when, you know, I, I try really hard to get them to understand, like, look, this is not a setback. Like this comes with the territory. You're doing something that is pushing your body harder than you normally used to, or, some of them pushing your body than the body's meant to because they're competitors. Like this comes with the territory. You're constantly training on the edge of an injury. This is what happens, you know, like, and I kind of point out people like Jay Cutler towards bicep, Dory needs towards bicep, you know, these different guys that are, you know, elite level, Ronnie Coleman, the injuries he's had to try to show them like, look, when you're pushing it to the next level, injuries happen. It's not something that you should be like worried about right now. It's just another obstacle. Let's get it figured out. Let's start rehabbing it and let's get moving on. You know what I mean?
1: Right. And a lot of people, I think, don't go to the doctor no. and they they fiddle around with that because they're in denial with the fact that something maybe does need to be yeah. done, you know? Um, and I think I see that a lot with people is where they're like, oh, I've had this going on for ages, but they never get it right. looked at because they're like, they don't want to yeah. know. The doctor can know? tell
2: them that they can't train. They're can like, oh my God, I can't do that. So they just, they try to train around it. I mean, I did the same thing with my rotator cup. By the time I got to a doctor, I couldn't. And I was like, I'm going to go to the chiropractor. I think my shoulder is out of place. I mean, I thought it was everything. I went to um, acupuncture. I did everything until I finally went to the doctor. And like, yeah, you tore your rotator cuff and your bicep tendon. I was like, damn it. In the back of my head, I knew it. In the back of my head, I knew walking into the doctor that I knew what I had done. And that's why when I tore my pec, I literally, I, re- I unracked the weights, which I just feel like that's the right thing to do. Even though I tore my pec, I put the weights back on the rack and then literally jumped in the car with my wife and went directly to the doctor. Went to the emergency room. Like I knew better that time.
1: Right. So if there's one thing you could tell anybody that has an injury, what would you want them
2: to know? Stop worrying about your physique. Okay. You're worrying about the way you look. You need to be concerned with that injury healing and healing properly and fully. Because if you're too worried about how you look and you're not dealing with that underlying injury, the reason why you have that injury is because you're pushing so hard that you weren't paying attention to other things. Once it's healed, then you're good to go. If that thing doesn't heal properly, you're going to have issues for the rest of your life. And that may hold you back to where you don't progress at all anymore, period. Because it's constantly getting re-injured. If somebody decides that they want to, you know, just go full steam ahead, expect to be injured again. Like it takes time. You know what I mean? It's something that happens. It's not abnormal. It happens to a lot of people. But if you're trying to push that too fast, if your ego is so concerned with the way that you look, you're more than likely going to wind up not healing the injury properly and it's going to just affect you the rest of your life.
1: Amen to that. I think that's a good one. So if somebody wants to find you, how do they do that? They
2: can easily just Google Jerry Ward Bodybuilder, <laughs> which uh, everything will pop up there. But um, I'm on you know, YouTube, BioS3 Training. Um, my email is BioS3Training at gmail.com. My website is BioS3Training.com. You notice there's a lot of BioS3 stuff in there. So that's my company name. And uh, GIFD Labs is my supplement company.
1: Awesome. And I'm assuming you're also on social media yep, as um, well. Jerry
2: Ward. If you just look up Jerry Ward, that's my name on pretty much everything.
1: Awesome. Your information in the show notes. And I do appreciate you coming on and chatting with me today about injury stuff, because I know it's something that has the potential to happen to everybody at one point if they're, you know, um, achieving athletic goals, um, or heavily training. So, um, I'm thankful that you decided to come on today and spend a little time with me.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: So that about wraps up my interview with Jerry. I really appreciate him taking time out of his day to come on the show and chat with me. Um, I also hope that, you know, if you're at a point where you're injured or you think you have an injury coming on, um, take good care of it. Let it heal. It's the most important thing. Um, even though it's really hard to come to that conclusion and you want to get back in the gym and you want to keep going, your overall health is very, very important as he outlines in the end of our episode. So anyway, I am so glad you took the time to listen to the episode. If you liked what you had to hear, please share it with your friends, share it with your family, subscribe to it, and if you're on iTunes, leave me a review. As always, I can be found on Instagram at Connie Begoni, and I will put all of Jerry's information in the show notes so that you can find him as well. Thank you so much for listening.